This is Internet Marketing. And welcome back to the show where we give you the lowdown, the inside information and the word from the experts to help you use the internet as part of your marketing machine. Internet marketing is brought to you by Academy Internet at www.academyinternet.com. I'm Andy White and in episode 34 we'll be covering the psychology of SEO, how to consider the human brain factor when designing your SEO strategy and we'll be talking to Sam Decker of Bazaar Voice about the power of customer feedback. So stay tuned. Coming up in our first segment, the psychology of SEO, and I spoke to Daniel Rowles, Internet Marketing Manager at Academy Internet. So Daniel, what are we talking about today? Um, I want to have a little talk about something related to search engine optimization, um, and actually looking at how people search in Google. But not just how they search, not what they type in, but how they react to the results they get from Google. Okay, It seems that this podcast is getting more and more psychological with every week that passes. <laughs> I think it's that uh, we, yeah, we've covered the basics. We've gone through the things you can do, and it's now like you look at how you improve them. Mm-hmm. And marketing does very much come down to how people react to things and interact with things, and it does come to psychology an awful lot of the time. Um, I mean, for example, you look at a web, uh, a web page, you expect certain things on the page in certain places. So it's a usability issue. So you expect advertising on the right-hand side, you expect navigation at the top and the left, and you expect the content in the middle. Okay, so um, there's patterns for me in terms of how people use websites. Now, what, what I want to talk about from a search engine point of view is you do a search in Google and you get a results page. Now, there's been quite a few people now that have done something called an eye tracker study which does a heat map and what a heat map is it indicates where people are looking on the page the majority of the time okay so you might have a red area that's the really heavily looked at bit and then it goes down to blue which isn't looked at as much so the red area is a picture of the pretty lady advertising something uh, well it can be that's the thing it depends on what part of the page your eyes drawn to at the end of the day so you'll tend to find if you go to a web page and there's a bit of text on the left and an image on the right you'll look at the text uh you look at the first few words and then your eyes will scan over to the image and look at the image or vice versa okay mm-hmm. What they found in Google very much is this, this kind of triangle of attention. So you'll look at the top couple of results and you'll look at those reasonably thoroughly. As you go down the page, you'll read less and less and you only read the first couple of words. So it kind of starts at a wide triangle at the top and goes down to a point further down the page. Below scrolling, so if you have to scroll down the page, most people won't even get that far. The way we search has changed. We used to search and then look through the first two or three pages of results and then we'd flip over and maybe look at a different search engine and do the same thing. But it's completely changed now. We will go into a search engine, type something in, look at the front page of results. If it's not there, we change what we search on. We refine the search term. So that's had a big impact in that people tend to stick with one search engine a lot more and also that they don't get past the first page of results a lot of the time. So it's getting more and more imperative to try and get onto that front page which is obviously getting harder and harder because there's more people that want to do it. So that's why people are now looking at this idea of long tail, which is the idea that much more specific phrases and longer phrases do get searched for, and you can convert those into traffic to your website because there's less people competing for them because not as many people have got them in their website. Just as a little, what do they call them, a fly-out box, Dan? Yeah. As a little fly-out box, the book The Long Tail 
whose whose author the name of the author of which I can't Dan can help me out here <laughs> yeah, no, you, okay well there's only one The Long Tale and you can find it on Amazon I'm reading it at the moment and it, it really is a very very good book and it really opens your your eyes to this whole sort of notion of internet marketing and the and the differences that the internet has made compared to the olden days. So, um, listeners, your homework is to go and get yourself The Long Tail by unknown author and um, read it, um, and it will give you a really good insight into, um, into certain elements of internet marketing. Back to you, Dan. Thank you. Uh, we should tie that into a bit of affiliate marketing. We should have made a percentage off that book, Andy. That was, that was poor thinking. By the time you hear this, we will have an affiliate link for The Long Tail. <laughs> so you, you basically... This, this kind of triangle of attention where people are reading at the top but not at the bottom of the page. Now, what's really been interesting is that eyes are moving about, but the way people actually read is quite different. They might scan the top few results, but they only read the first few words of the title. Now, what I mean by the title is you've got the blue line that's the title and then a description and the link in Google and you get your 10 results normally. The blue line, people only read in the first three or four words maybe. Now, that means you need to take a few things into consideration here, okay? Because that title comes from your website. It comes from the page title of the page Google is looking at. That's the bit in between those title tags or the, in, in the title tag, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's the bit that shows up if you're in Internet Explorer or Firefox. It's the bit that's in the very, very top bar. Yeah. So it's not something you actually see on the page. It's actually something that you see in the browser, and it's something that appears in Google itself. So if you're updating a website itself... It's all about that title tag. If you're using a content management system, hopefully you can change the page title. If you're using a tool uh, like Contribute or something like that, then you can look at the page attributes and you can change your page title there. Okay, But it's really important. For example, if you write in your page title, welcome to the Academy Internet website. Well, my first three words were welcome to thee. People are scanning the title. They've read Welcome to, oh, they've lost interest and they've moved on. They haven't even read the Academy Internet website title. Okay. The other thing as well is that people aren't that likely to be searching for Academy Internet because if they are, they probably know our website or they know of us and they'll find us quite easily. It's more important that we say Internet Marketing Services or Search Engine Optimization, whatever it may be that way around, because that's what people are more likely to be searching for. So if somebody searches for Search Engine Optimization, they want to see that word in the title because then it affirms that's the right page for them to look at and they're more likely to click on it. So you need the right words at the beginning. So I would want search engine optimization services provided by Academy Internet or something similar to that. So we've got Academy Internet in there still, but you've got the right words at the front. So yeah, I've heard this before. It's all to do with putting the most, the, the most juicy, the most keyword rich bits at the front end of that title tag. And then at the end, if you want to, you can put perhaps the name of your company or, or something like that. That's completely it. Now that's, that's good for two reasons. One, People scanning through the results in Google are going to find what they're looking for, see the words they've searched on, which makes them almost twice as likely to click on the link. But also, the way Google, not the search engines work, they tend to give the words at the beginning of a sentence, at the beginning of a paragraph, at the beginning of a title, beginning of a heading, a lot more weight than the words at the end. So the nearer the, the beginning the words are, the more important they're seen, because we tend to mention the important things at the beginning of a sentence, at the beginning of a title. So... Don't write your page titles with welcome to and we're happy to introduce you to and all these kind of words that don't actually achieve anything because you're going to lose an awful lot of people clicking through. Get the right phrases in there in the first place. And we've kind of talked about keyword research a fair bit in the past. Look at some websites like nichebot.com, N-I-C-H-E-B-O-T.com or wordtracker.com. There's lots more out there as well. They'll help you work out what the right keywords are in the first place. 
but make sure you're getting them into the first few words. Yeah. Okay. Don't assume people are reading your entire titles when they're searching in Google. Make sure it's relevant to what they're searching on and do consider longer phrases. No, only about 16% of people will search on a single word. More than 30% of people will search on three words or more. So if I'm searching for a job, I don't just search for job. I search for academic job Manchester. I do something quite specific, so I get specific roles. And you might not get as much traffic that way, but you'll get traffic that converts into business because they're doing something very specific. Can I just say a couple of things about keywords? Mm. Um, can I make a suggestion, Dan, that in the next one of the next few episodes we recover key? I know we covered them briefly yeah. before, but keywords, because they're so crucial. And in some ways, I wonder if keyword research might be a contender for one of the core disciplines of internet marketing. Yeah. There was, there was um, recently I, I, I heard a, a, a very prominent internet marketer make the statement that if he was ever dropped in the middle of nowhere, but with a computer and a dial-up connection and access to niche bot, he could be making a profit again within three hours. I think that's the thing, is that you... It's very easy to skip over the keyword stage, the keyword research stage, because you, you think you know what people are searching for. You probably do know the things that the majority of people are searching for, but... There's thousands of search terms out there you won't know about and that you can drive traffic to your website to, you know, in an effective way, basically, and quite cheaply. So it is worth taking a step back. We will, we'll do another episode and cover it in quite a lot of detail mm. and look at variations of phrases and why it matters. Well, a lot of people ask me, they, they're actually confused as to how you do keyword research. Mm. So perhaps we'll do a step-by-step guide. Yeah, I mean, there's some tools you can use online for doing that will give you various tools. Uh, there's some things that Google will give you some, some kind of guides on. And it's about working out the right words, but the words are achievable. We walk into a client, they say, we want to be number one for the word jobs. Okay, well, we, we, we achieved that, but it took a lot of time and a lot of budget to do it at the end of the day. Realistically, a search on jobs will get you lots of traffic, but it won't get you many conversions. What you want is a specific niche phrase that's going to get somebody at the point of purchase. And it's those conversion type phrases that are really, really important. So use some of the tools and we'll, we'll talk about it a bit further in another episode, I think. All right, back to the main topic. Sorry, I tangented you off again, didn't I? I keep doing that, Dan. Sorry, Dan. Off you go. Back to the main topic. So heat maps, talking about heat maps, talking about your keywords in your titles. Now, this red triangle of attention that we're talking about in Google actually tends to apply to web pages as well. So you get to a web page, you scan it very quickly, you tend to look at the top headings images at the top and then you scan down now you won't commit to reading anymore unless the stuff you've scanned at the top has told you the page is what you're interested in classic example of this go to the bbc website look at any news story and every news story is started with a bold paragraph that tells you exactly what the whole story is about so that summarizes for you and then you're happy you're to commit to scroll down the page so think about your page layouts as well does it have the key information at the top of the page can you sort the page is about can you commit to that before you can actually have to scroll down the page. When people come through from Google or another search engine, they look, they put a search term in, they look for that in the results, they find it in the results, they click on it. If they don't see what they've clicked on being connected to the page they're seeing very, very quickly because it's in the headings, it's bold in the text, it's in the uh, beginnings of the paragraphs, it's in the page title, they're going to leave really quickly. You've got under a second to grab people's attention when they hit your website. So if the design doesn't feel right, if the look and feel isn't quite to the right tone, but most of all, if they don't think the content matches what they've been searching for, you've lost them. So think about the before stage, which is what they're thinking about, they're searching for and working out you know, how that connects to them. The during stage, the results that come up in Google and where you're positioned that and what words you use, and the after stage when they land on your website. 
And I think that's, you know, if you, if you cover all three, the before, during and after, you end up with actually, you can drive the right people to your website. And then you've just got to convert them into business, which is the, which is the easy bit. <laughs> which is a different story. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Daniel Rowles, thank you so much indeed. Oh, actually, I've said that prematurely, haven't I? Because there is, in fact, drum roll, a question. There is. We had a little bit of feedback again. Uh, this is from Don Olsen, and his website, by the look of it, is Herbal Healing Pathways dot uh, com. Sorry, Herbal Healing dot com. All one word. And he's just asked a question. First of all, about show notes, and we're notoriously bad at actually getting these show notes online. But what you can find, there are complete transcriptions of the podcasts at www.besidethesea.com. You'll find those there. But what we're actually redoing is we've been doing for absolutely average, rebuilding our website and building quite a big podcast section. So in the new year when that's done, I will let you know and we'll try and be a bit more effective at getting the notes up because I know the, uh, the, 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 the podcast could do a bit more kind of accompanying material. Can I, can I just tell, tell the viewers, listeners, mm. about... First of all, it's a sort of an apology because Internet Marketing Podcast, as, as superb as it is, and I'm sure you agree, <laughs> has to... I think it must be the contender for the most disorganised web presence it doesn't actually have a home there's two places where you could possibly go right now as we speak to find internet marketing the first one is the academy internet.com site and is is it forward slash podcast it is yeah it's forward slash podcast and you'll find it but if you go to the home page there's a big link through from there so you'll find on the home page so academy internet.com yeah, you'll see a big like sort of orange box down the right hand side. Just click on that, and you'll go to the to, to the page. The other place where you can go to is actually my old website, which is www.summitsolutions.co.uk. Now that is actually my old blog, but it's also one of the two homes for internet marketing. So if you go to the internet marketing category, you'll just get the internet marketing marketing podcast. That is going to change soon because we're we're formalising the production of the show a bit more and getting a bit more organised. And it will have one definitive home, which I'm assuming will be on the Academy Internet site, won't it? Absolutely. And the the other thing is, well, we are going to New Year and we're doing some planning for the recording we're doing. So we really like people's feedback. If they've got any kind of recommendations, uh, there's things they want us to cover, um, things they want to see reflected on the website to accompany it, let us know and we'll endeavour to do that in the New Year. Fantastic. Anyway, back to the question, Dan. Yeah. Well, the question that's been asked is um, about percentages in e-commerce. And this is saying that like, I sell someone's product through my store. The actual someone else actually that provides the product ships them. What percentage should I be charging for that service? Now, what this comes down to is affiliate marketing. At the end of the day, now whether it's formally through an affiliate network or any other way, there's there's some key questions. So, first of all, affiliate marketing is the concept that you drive traffic to sell a product. Now that can happen in two ways. You can either drive traffic to someone else's website having a link from your website and then you take a percentage of the revenue or you might actually feature the product on your website and you have some information from them you sell it and you take a percentage there so it's basically about you get sales to somebody else what do you charge well to answer that is a bit of a how long is a piece of string because it does depend on what your costs are and how big the product is and how many you sell that kind of thing but i can give you some good examples there's lots of affiliate networks out there that connect lots of affiliates so people that want to sell other people's products and help them sell them and want to make some revenue from that and lots of merchants who have products to sell and want to pay somebody to get them to sell their products and an affiliate network sits between the two and gives them all the payment processing and the details and the sign up and the registration kind of information that you need for the whole process to work now for an example of that if you look at affiliate future 
they're uh, a company that does this there's lots of them out there it's affiliate window and trade doubler and all sorts of different people that do this so just do a search on affiliate network in one of the search engines and you'll find lots of people that do it but what you can see is you can go in and see all the different merchants and what they offer people for selling their products that will range between on average between three and about ten percent some people go as far as twenty percent some people will go down to about two percent it very much depends on the product in terms of the average kind of cost of the product and the volume that you can expect to sell some people will just give a flat fee per sale okay my it, my kind of experience is eight percent is about an average of what you'd expect to get from something so if you sell something you know that, that's going out there for 10 pounds eight percent is going to be kind of 80p in your 10 pounds but i know some that do 50 uh, percent. yeah i think there are some that do some amazing deals mm. you get some that you can you know people will just give you a pound for every sign up to their website you get they don't even have to sell anything so just just have a look if you're interested in being an affiliate go and look at some of these affiliate networks and see what deals you can get if you want to help get sales for your product and you've got enough margin to give a little bit away because you're only paying when you actually get um, a sale then same thing, set yourself up as a merchant. Have a look. It's affiliates are really, affiliate marketing is turning into a really big deal because pay-per-click was the big thing, but it's getting more expensive. It's getting harder to do. And you're paying, you don't necessarily know that's going to convert into business directly. Whereas it, it's slightly different than affiliate marketing. And it's really, really growing industry and it's starting to settle down at the moment. So in answer to this question, what percentage do you charge? Well, Don, there'll be lots of variations, but as a kind of average, I'd say 8%. It could be a lot more, it could be less. But have a look on, to work out for the particular type of product, have a look on some of these affiliate networks, find an equivalent kind of product, and uh, you'll basically be able to work out what other people are kind of giving for that. So what would you expect to get? Well, it depends on the product, but go and look at the market as an overall and you'll be able to see some, some examples. Does Don say what he's actually um, affiliating? What he's, no, he's, he's saying that he's selling someone's products in his store, they ship them, so it depends if he's actually... If he's processing the payment himself, then he should be charging a bit more because he's got the cost of actually processing the payment as well. So you'll need to add that on top. And this isn't it. Don's situation isn't, by the look of it, a pure affiliate kind of situation, but it touches on similar things. So I think it's the nearest way you're going to get a realistic figure is going to look at the affiliate networks. Don, hopefully that is a satisfactory answer to your question. Absolutely. I mean, if it's not, um, let us know a bit more detail and we're more than happy to have a look at it in a bit more detail for you. Daniel, is there anything else we can cover in today's show? No. Then I will bid you farewell and thank you very much for your time. Shuffling of papers. Thank you very much, Mr. Daniel Rouse. Thank you very much, Andy. Okay, so before we go on to the next segment, let me mention Academy Internet. Now, they provide experts like Daniel. They're a full-service online marketing agency who cover the full spectrum of online marketing activities and objectives. And it's all about using the technology to make your business work. And they're happy to guarantee that they'll improve your return by at least 30%. Now, you can find them at www.academyinternet.com or you can give them a call if you want. It's 44 if you're outside the UK or 01273-733-433. Right, so let's move on to that interview now with Sam Decker of Bizarre Voice. Now, this is a very interesting insight into some of the obvious and not so obvious benefits of having customer feedback on your site. I started off by asking Sam to give us an overview of what Bizarre Voice does. Yeah, Bizarre Voice is a, a company that provides both technology and services to help online retailers, online manufacturers capture the voice of their customers and amplify that both through their website and other marketing channels. So in practice, what that looks like is 
if you go to one of our client sites, such as figleaves.co.uk, and you go to their site and you look at a product and you see reviews, a customer who posts a review to that site or reads a review from that site is using our technology, but we're totally behind the scenes. Okay. Um, so then we help them, you know, leverage that content to evolve their marketing strategy, and we give analytics and reports and other things to really make this more than just a, a feature on a website, but really a core to a company's marketing strategy. So let me see if I've understood that right. So, say I was um, I was Mr. Widgets and I made widgets, and and I wanted to know what people thought of my widgets. Would I contact you, and then you would put some kind of system in place or on my site or your site that folks could go to and comment on my widgets? It is on your site. And that's what's key is that it is not, we are not a consumer site. Uh, we are behind the scenes and we put technology within your site uh, and make it very easy to get up on your site so that people can comment on your products. And that it's that commentary that's that authentic voice of the customer that others want to read in order to believe that your widgets are the greatest out there. Oh, okay, I get it. The reason people write reviews is they want to help other people. And it's no different than if you're in the pub talking to somebody about the great vacation that you just had. It is just happening online. And so that's what the whole idea of word of mouth rising. I mean, word of mouth has always been out there. We've always talked about products and brands that we love. But now with technologies like these and the fact that customers trust companies less, the you know word of mouth online has risen you know more people are shopping online more people are researching online and because there's technologies for people to share online it's this perfect combination where in the last couple of years just the rise in people searching for this content is increased and jupiter and forrester did a study 70% over 70% of shoppers online seek out uh reviews from other customers yeah, because they want verification, don't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Edelman did a study that said trust in someone like me has tripled in two years. So, so people's trust in other people has just exploded, and the trust in companies has declined. Now, this idea of you know conversations taking place online and reviews taking place online, of course, isn't new. What has changed in recent years, would you say? I mean, what's the most successful approach to sort of managing this in today's day and age? Well, the biggest problem uh, and the reason we came into existence is the challenges that online retailers have and manufacturers have in deploying these new technologies, in moderating the content, and in learning what to do with this. This is really new. I mean, there were reviews out there. Amazon has been out there for a long time with reviews, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, But other retailers didn't pay close attention, nor did manufacturers. But because of this rise of word of mouth and the importance of it, retailers have taken notice that they need to have the voice of the customer speak for their products instead of themselves. And so I think what's really changed is, you know, we came into the market making it very easy to install, making it a turnkey solution, making it uh, easy to get up and running sometimes within two weeks for a, a retailer or a manufacturer to have reviews on their site. And, and that's what's changed is, is many of the retailers we talked to had been thinking about this but there were obstacles in front of them. One is they didn't know enough about it. 
And because now we work with 160 clients, we know a lot about this. We know that 80% of reviews are positive because they always ask, yeah. what about negative reviews? Yeah. They, you know, they ask, well, how do we moderate it? And we have a solution for that. They say, well, we don't have enough IT resources to install it. And we say, well, we do 80% of the lifting to get this live on your site. And so we overcome a lot of those obstacles for them to embrace the strategy, both from a you know philosophical perspective as well as a sort of tactical obstacle perspective that you know they they just couldn't get it up on their website so you're basically packaging it up and making it accessible to people aren't you yeah yeah we're we're, we're really making a sort of turnkey uh, hosted solution for them to get up and running on this and then to leverage it i mean part of it also is it goes far beyond just having a widget or a functionality on the website is what we're seeing with with our clients is they are they're going through this evolution. They thought they're getting a feature on their website, and what they are getting actually is a culture changer, a customer-centric culture changer, because now that this content is on their site rather than just on Amazon external to them, they are seeing the content every day, and the the leaders of the organization are embracing it and using it for decision-making, and that's very exciting. So that it actually has a an impact, if you like, on the culture of the business, I guess. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They didn't, you know, it, it's one of those sort of hidden hidden things. They did. We talk to typically the, you know, commercial director for the website or someone leading e-commerce, but once it gets into the site and people start getting our alerts and using the workbench and the reports and things like that, it disseminates throughout the organization. So people making decision on what to merchandise and people in the stores and and executives in the company start to use this customer voice. And all of a sudden, you, you start to see it everywhere, and they're putting it in catalogs and in online advertising and mm. in store merchandising. And, you know, it, this is what I'm saying. It evolves the marketing strategy far beyond just putting it on the website. Now, I'm really interested. Are there certain sort of industry sectors that benefit the most from, from this type of sort of user-generated content and feedback? You know, we, we now serve 15 different sectors, and so... You know, the ones that have been early adopters of this and certainly proven that, that this is impactful is, are things like, are there things that sold a lot on the web, on the web such as consumer electronics, travel, uh, computers, books and DVDs and, and, and those sort of things. But, I mean, we're serving now business-to-business companies and sporting goods. And, you know, so we, we think it can apply to any sector because ultimately, if you are choosing a product or service, you need to learn about that product or service, and the source that is authentic, credible, and relevant is what other customers say, as opposed yeah. to what the company is saying. That's right. So yeah. we believe it applies to any sector. Now you mentioned a little while ago about negative reviews. You know what happens? <laughs> what about negative reviews? Yeah, yeah, that's the first question we get. So the first answer to that is there is, uh, and this is why we did the study we just released. Uh, of why people write reviews, and the reason why is they want to help other people. We also believe that there's a people want to share when they found a great product across these 15 sectors, across these hundreds of clients. 80% of reviews are positive. That means 80% of reviews are four or five out of five stars. Yeah. Uh, so that's the first answer. The second answer is you know negative reviews are a gift. Negative reviews are the whole point of reviews is that they're authentic. And so positive or negative, the reviews go to the website and they tell people that I can trust this content because it's a balanced review. Yeah. And, and in, in, in essence, that actually helps conversion. 
like if you look at a product and it has 50 reviews and let's just say, you know, five or 10 of them are negative or mediocre, right? We're, we're not all created equal. We all have different opinions. But the point is you read that content and you either identify with it or not, or you, you, you say, well, that's not a big deal for me. But you feel like you've done the research. You feel like you've got the, the balanced view of that product, and that's enough to make a purchase decision. And so we believe negative reviews, and the other point about negative reviews is, is they help you improve product. So let's just say that you have a minority of products. You're a retailer, and you have a minority of products with negative reviews. Yeah. As a retailer, don't you want to know that? You know, don't you want to know which products you shouldn't be selling to, to, to make sure you increase customer satisfaction? And don't you not want to sell products that are going to be returned? So we believe negative reviews are a gift, um, and we're finding, you know, reviews are helping reduce returns. But I'm sure I remember reading once about some research that was done, and they found that conversions were higher when there were some negative reviews. Have you heard of that one? We have anecdotal research on that. We found that more reviews equals higher conversion, regardless of you know the rating. We have found mm. in some cases that when it is a you know a, clearly a one or two star review product with a lot of reviews, you're not going to get a higher conversion. I mean that's obvious, but that's that's really small minority of products. The what we have found is that if it has a lot of reviews and even if it's mixed, right? So it's a three or four star, right? And there's some negative reviews, it will have higher conversion, simply because there's that content there for them to read and a product without it, they would likely leave that site and look elsewhere. Okay, so, I mean, generally from a business's point of view, what, what are the important factors, if you like, and, and sort of features to a successful strategy along these lines? Well, first of all, is a, it has to seamlessly integrate to, to the site. So, you know, in our solution, you don't see us anywhere. We, we customize it uh, and plug it in. I won't get into the technicalities, but it easily goes into a website and it looks like it was their own technology. So, so that's key. And the reason that's key is because people are more likely to come back to a retailer in that brand than to write a review on a third-party brand. And so we, we want to make sure that our technology integrates seamlessly with that brand and it looks like it's, it's coming from, from them. The other part is integrating with the My Account system. And so oftentimes retailers have a My Account. You've registered, you've bought something before. And so when you write a review, you log in to uh, you log in to write that review and and that's important for a couple reasons one it's a sort of filter for authenticity it, it, we can track if that person had bought before uh, but also the people that write reviews we find are the influentials they are the people they are the most loyal customers they're the frequent purchasers so over time as you get a lot of people writing reviews you can identify who those are and do more advanced segmentation with that group of influencers mm-hmm um, some other best practices, uh, one of the strategies in our solution is to leverage this content for natural search benefit. So what we do is we segment out the content into landing pages that attract natural search. Of course, People yeah. search for, uh, I, I want to look for mobile phone reviews, or I want, I'm looking for Nokia specifically reviews. And instead of a shopping portal, a comparison engine coming up in those results, now our clients come up on those results because we segment out the content for natural search. And so SEO is a critical benefit of, of this whole strategy. There's actually about 10 different measurements that uh, you, you can measure in terms of ROI. 
Yeah, I was going to come on to that because um, I was wondering if there was a... I mean, it's a fantastic point you were making about the content because, you know, content is king. And if you've got loads of mainly positive reviews about your product, I mean, it's a, it's a gift, isn't it? But is, is it sort of reasonably easy to measure the ROI on, on, on these sort of systems? Yes, it's, it's very easy. In fact, we have a, a detailed uh, spreadsheet that measures out ROI. Uh, the, the first and most prominent one and most obvious one is conversion on product pages. So when you have you know, reviews on, up down that product and the customer can look at those reviews, they're more likely to buy that product. You, do you have any sort of um, percentages, uh, typical percentages? Sure. Um, we've seen, and there's case studies on our website, but we've seen, give you an example, Petco had a top-rated products navigation on their site, and they had about 20, 25% of their traffic choose to go down top-rated products when they're, when they're browsing different categories. That traffic had a 49% higher conversion and something like a 60% higher average order value. Wow. And the average path on the website. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. Um, the conversion impact alone is huge. And we have several other case studies of that, both in terms of when you merchandise it on the homepage, Bass Pro did, here are top-rated fishing poles, and that had, uh, I want to say, 40% higher conversion than other paths. We've also done research just on the product page alone, having conversion, you know, even if they didn't do this merchandising. We've done A-B tests with email. Golfsmith did an A-B test putting top-rated products in email, and they saw a 49% higher revenue per email uh, by, by putting it in an email. We've oh. seen Burpee put it in their RSS feeds, and yeah. they saw 43% higher click-through on RSS feeds. And we've seen CompUSA get tens of thousands of, of natural search visits from this content that had a higher conversion and higher average order value than the average visitor coming from Google or Yahoo. So, you know, and, and it could go on, but you can impact your catalogs. You can impact uh, your in-store advertising. You can impact online advertising. So it really depends on how far you take the content to evolve your strategy as to how much ROI you can get from this. And that's, that's part of what we help our clients through is, is these different strategies. Well, those are certainly pretty impressive uh, figures, and they're really going to hit the bottom line, aren't they? So you mentioned earlier about sort of um, hidden benefits that people were, were or organizations were experiencing. Any other unexpected impacts from having sort of ratings and reviews on, on the site? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think the culture one is the biggest one. I, I think that most companies lack customer metrics or customer-centric metrics. They lack a day-to-day appreciation for the customer voice and what they think about products. So, so that's one of the biggest impacts. The other one is, is uh, and it's related to culture change, but it impacts with retailers is their relationships with their suppliers. And, you know, for an example, uh, you know, Petco brought in a bunch of their suppliers for a day, and we created these one-pagers for each of the suppliers to tell the suppliers, here's what Petco customers say about your product. Ah. And that's a lot different than just the merchant saying, you know, I'd like to buy, you know, 500 more of this, and I think you should do this to the product. It's the customers saying, you know, here are the key points about your product they like and don't like. Here's what you should improve. And, you know, if you don't improve this product, you know, it's great for negotiation. Yeah, yeah. And and so th- there's benefits even in, in sort of the supply side of things. Um, 
And then, and then the other sort of benefits are things around analytics. And when you think about driving a company and leading through analytics, you typically think about, okay, let's look at the financial measures, let's look at the web analytics. But now you can bring in customer analytics into that equation and start to say, okay, what are the conversion on these products based on these ratings? And start to understand the impact of word of mouth to your business. And ultimately, that powers other ideas and, and, and it fuels sort of the attention that word of mouth plays in a business, which has always been lacking. I'm on the board of the Word of Mouth Marketing Association, and the biggest struggle for companies is how to measure word of mouth and how to make it part of the operations. And this is, I think, the, the, the tip of the sword for driving word of mouth into an organization and the appreciation that word of mouth is the leading marketing strategy for organizations. So what about the future, Sam? Where do you see this sort of technology going in the future? Yeah, first and foremost, I think there's still a lot of upside and a lot of opportunity of leveraging this content in different in different ways and in different marketing strategies. So, so I wouldn't want to dismiss the fact that, you know, even though some retailers may not have reviews now, you know, we, we've seen late adopters uh, in the U.S. get reviews, and they've said, you know, and then they really embraced it and evolved their marketing strategy. From there, what we've done is we've we've launched new user-generated content applications to help drive, you know, this strategy and help drive conversion. We launched a solution called Ask and Answer, which solves a different problem for customers. Right? People want to see qualitative information from customers on a product. What do you think about it? But they also still have questions. You know, the, the manufacturers don't create great copy yeah. or great, you know, uh, they don't answer all the questions for customers. And so a customer would have to call or go to a research website or do an email. What Ask and Answer does is it allows customers to ask and answer each other's questions in their own words and live right there on that product page or on that category page. So it's a new source of user-generated content that solves a whole new problem that helps drive conversion, natural search, help feedback to suppliers, and so forth. So, so that we're very bullish on, 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 on that new solution. Yeah, that's sort of like um, sort of uh, consumer intelligence, isn't it? Sort of gathering together the knowledge of the uh, consumers, I guess. Yeah, and then, and then having it archived on the site so it's there for the next person. More fantastic content, yeah. Yeah, without it evaporating. The thing about email, live chat, or phone calls is it's a one-to-one conversation that evaporates. It's gone, and no other customer can see what that person asked or how the company or another how it was answered. And, and furthermore, they would rather hear the answer from another customer who experienced that product. So that's what Ask and Answer does. It archives that interaction on the client's website, on, you know, on the retailer's website, for every other person to come see. Well, Sam, thank you so much for talking to us. It's a fascinating area, uh, sort of leveraging the the sort of uh, communal voice of uh, the consumer and generating great content and loads of other uh, benefits as, as well to the uh, to the organisation. Just your website, Sam, again, it's www.bazaarvoice.com. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And then our blog is bazaarblog.com. It's got a lot of articles and studies there as well. Well, certainly worth a visit. I'll leave the last word with you, Sam. Well, thank you, Andy. Uh, you know, I think that, that this is, we're all very passionate 
about this area. We believe that this is the most, and we found from clients who have adopted this, this to be the most strategic marketing decision a company will make. And, and, and we're very excited about not only what the impact it makes to companies, but also to consumers, because ultimately we're helping consumers make better product decisions. Sam Decker, Chief Marketing Officer from Bizarre Voice, Inc. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Now, we would like to hear from you, so if you have any questions or comments that you'd like featured on the show, please do send them to info at academyinternet.com. Do feel free to send in MP3 files if you'd like to um, leave an audio comment and we'll play them. And if you're a subscriber, then we'd like to thank you for your valuable time. If you haven't subscribed yet and you'd like this podcast to be delivered to your earbuds automatically, you can find Internet Marketing on iTunes or at the academyinternet.com website and follow the subscription buttons. We'd also love to receive comments via iTunes and the podcast directories. So this is Andy White signing off and we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing. Thank you.